I was born in the mid 1950s, a time when there was a great deal of pressure to conform to certain agreed upon set of rules regarding gender roles. Of course, agreed upon by exactly who is a subject of debate. I was certainly never asked. If I had been, the system of rules and expectations that were in place back then would not have been something that I would have willingly agreed to. And in fact, by age three, I was already expressing my objection to them. I have an old photograph of myself at age three, shuffling around in my dad's shoes, in my little bib overalls, wearing my grandpa's hat. By the way, I was much cuter then than, than I am now. By age four, I was playing house with the girl across the street. I was always the daddy. And by age four, I also remember that I was savvy enough to know that, that, was, that it was best to not share this information with my mother because I already knew she would have a fit. By age seven, I remember announcing to my mother that I was never gonna get married and that when I grew up, I was gonna be a veterinarian. Never mind that I had never seen or heard of a female veterinarian, but that was of no concern for me. By the way, in 1957, Phyllis Luce graduated from the Pennsylvania School of Veterinary Medicine to become the first the first female equine vet. There were female veterinarians out there, but they weren't common. And I am quite sure that I had never seen one. One of my most influential role, role models as a child was Superman. Notice I said Superman, not Supergirl. Although I knew that such an option existed, I, I read all the comic books, but somehow Supergirl just was not going to cut it for me. Even though Superman and Supergirl had all the exact same superpowers. To me, there was something less, I don't know, powerful, for lack of a better word, about a girl versus a man. What I was perceiving with my young mind was something that I would not even be remotely aware of for many, many years. And that was the deeply entrenched power disparity between genders. At 14, I realized I had grown up to what turned out to be ever so slightly below my adult height and I was probably not going to grow much anymore. I'm now five foot two. So I announced to my folks that I was considering becoming a jockey. And my dad laughed at me and he said, girls can't be jockeys. Jockey's a man job. At 16, I went to work for a fast food chain. And I noticed that all of the girls that worked there 
worked at the front counter, while most of the boys worked in the back, making the hamburgers. Part of it, I was told, was that, quote unquote, girls were cuter, and that people were more likely to enjoy being waited on by girls. A little later, I found out that the jobs in the back, the boys' jobs, paid more. At 17, my dad asked me if I was considering going into the armed forces after high school. Uh, now, this was a valid question because my favorite toy as a child was G.I. Joe. And my dad, having served in World War II, had spent a lot of time explaining to me the various pieces of equipment that I could purchase for my action figure, not at all, an action figure. And I told dad that I was thinking about the Air Force. He nodded and then he said, you know, they don't let the women fly the planes. Okay, I replied, then I'll go into the Navy. Um, he said, they don't let women on the boats either. Seriously angry at this point, I said, okay, well, I'm not going to enlist so that I can make coffee. And that was the end of any possibility that I would join the armed forces. At 18, I had a huge life-changing argument with my mother that ended with me leaving home for good. And I was applying for colleges and for scholarships and I needed something from her, a signature or something. I don't remember now what. And she told me that she absolutely positively forbade me to go to college. Colleges are useless for girls, she told me. If you wanna make money, you need to become a secretary. That is where the money is. And then she told me that the only reason girls went to college was to find a husband. And then she gave me a list of reasons why that was a bad idea. Oh, what I have not mentioned is that both my parents were born in 1920. So I imagine that things may have been a little different for them than they were for me at that point in the 70s, but it still made me incredibly angry and I left home. I went to work in the aerospace industry, like my dad, and I got married to my high school boyfriend who also went to work in aerospace, a different company, but in the same field. And I started out at 210 an hour. He started out at 315. Now, there is no particular reason why he got paid 50% more than me. We went to the same high school, graduated the same year, had similar grades and similar SAT scores. But right out of the gate, he made 50% more. I was told that because he was a man, he would be expected to support a family. Also, I could get pregnant any time, which by the way, was never going to happen. And that's beside the point because men become parents too, but that was how it started. We moved to a different state, Illinois. He got a job making $4 an hour. I got one making 210. 
We moved to yet another state, Indiana. I got a job making 250 an hour. He got one making 510. Are you starting to see a pattern here? I know I did. While in Indiana, I got a chance for a promotion and I bid on a job. It was for line inspector for a company that made furniture. Initially, I was turned down because they said, uh, we don't hire women for that job because it's just too hard. But it just so happened that my best friend at work at that job was a union steward. And he said to me, you don't have to accept that. They have to let you try. Tell them you demand to try out. I'll support you in that. So I did. And I got the job. And when I left that job, out of the 10 line inspectors that were there, eight of them were women. That is one of the proudest moments of my life. And it paid over $4 an hour, which I still wasn't making as much as my husband, but I was getting close. After that, we moved back to California. I went to work back in aerospace and my wages went down again to a whopping 350 an hour. My husband, of course, made five something. Then though, because I had experience in quality control, remember I worked as a line inspector in Indiana, I got approached to go into a different company as an electromechanical inspector. Now, I actually did not know how to do that job, but there were people there that were willing to teach me and I learned fast and I, it, it, they required that I take some night classes and things like electronics, but that was okay. It was exciting stuff. We worked on the computer monitors that went into aircraft and spacecraft. And I found it exhilarating. It was cutting edge technology at the time. And it paid over $5 an hour. And around that same time, my husband too found another job. And I think it was at a company that made cans. Anyway, he was making over $8 an hour. So business as usual, as far as that went. It is worth noting that the Equal Pay Act of 1963 aimed at abolishing, abolishing wage disparity based on sex was enacted in, well, 1963. I did not enter the workforce until 1972. So we see how that was working out. Then in 1981, something really amazing happened. There was a guy that I worked with and I made friends with him. And for some reason, he was making over $8 an hour, go figure, since we were doing the same job and I had more experience. But he was deeply unhappy there because he said he was not making enough money. Did I mention that he was making nearly double what I was? He had gone and applied at this other company and they turned him down because he did not have the minimum years of experience, but I did. Why don't you go and apply, he said. They start at over 10 bucks an hour, he said. Yeah, right, I said, figuring that for him, it was gonna be 10 bucks an hour. 
for me, it was probably going to be six or seven. But you know what? It was still more than I was making. So I went ahead and applied. I went down there and filled out an application. And they asked me to wait while they talked to somebody. And I said, oh, okay. And a guy came out and invited me into his office for an interview. And he barely asked me any questions. Just a few really technical questions about the trade of quality control inspection, which I assume was to verify that I actually did have that skill set. And then he asked me, could you start on Monday? And then he apologized because the job only started at 10 something an hour, but it did go up to $12 after 30 days and $16 an hour after 90. He hired me on the spot. And I tripled my income in three months. And took my now ex-husband years before he would catch up to me. What happened? What changed? Well, the company I went to work for took their equal opportunity, equal employment opportunity statement, their EEO, as we would say, seriously. It was part of their marketing strategy and corporate culture. And it just so happened they had no female inspectors at that branch that was local to me. And the guy just could not believe that he was so fortunate to have an actual woman walk in the front door with all the skills to and apply for that job. That was all it took, someone to actually take seriously that people should be paid and treated the same regardless of their gender. In life, in real life, there is almost no possible reason for one's gender to be a consideration either in the type of job one is hired for or how much someone is paid. Sure, there are times when someone with greater height or greater physical strength may have an advantage, but with our current technology, even that is questionable. The reason I'm telling you all of this, the reason I am telling you my lived experience is because it's real. And I really want you to see this. There is literally no reason that I <clears throat> I should have constantly, year after year, state after state, made less money than my male spouse. There was literally no reason why I could not learn to fly a fighter plane or be in a battleship or a submarine or be a jockey. Because in all of those cases, having less body, less body weight and taking up less physical space would actually be an advantage, not a detriment. And me going to work for that corporation did not magically solve the problem. As soon as I left that company and severed my ties with them, my earning power in the workplace immediately picked up right where it left off. Although at that point, middle age, I was far less, less likely to be hired. May I mention here, that the Equal Rights Amendment that has been around in one form or another 
since 1921 still has not been ratified to become law. The reason most stated is that it would remove the protections and privileges that women already have. When we are born, literally, the first question that is asked and answered is, is it a boy or a girl? And the answer to that question seals our fate forever. It determines what we can wear, what toys we can play with. It determines how we're expected to act. And most importantly, most importantly, our ease of access to resources. And this is literally an agreed upon social construct that we can simply refuse to any longer agree with. This is where I bring up what I call the gender outlaws, the masculine women and the feminine men, the trans women and the trans men, and the folks who either by choice or by biology are simply neither or both, as well as any people who self-defined as genderqueer. These are the people who show us just how obsolete and toxic these antiquated gender customs are. These are the people who have just by living day to day as our authentic selves continuously point out the emperor has no clothes. This refusal comes at a high price, often resulting in becoming a more likely target for violence and becoming less likely to be treated with justice and equity in the workplace. This alone makes them heroes. So what do we mean by women's history? Professor Kimberly A. Hamlin once wrote in a Washington Post piece that when men make history, it's just called history. But when women make history, it's women's history. History, as it comes down to us, is very often literally his story. Everyone remembers Charles Darwin, right? But who remembers his wife, Emma? Emma not only gave birth to Darwin's 10 children, but also cared for Darwin, who was chronically ill with an undiagnosed ailment, probably related to stress. And no doubt the famed theory of evolution was as much due to Emma's contribution as Charles. The point is, Women's history is not made up just of the Kamala Harrisons, the Stacey Abrams, and the Susan B. Anthony's of the world, although they are incredibly important. It is also made up of the Emma Darwins, the Sophia's, Sophia Tolstoy's, who she was Tolstoy's personal assistant and manager and nurse and publisher. And yes, even Katerina Flashovska who traveled alone at the age of 14 to America from Poland to escape World War I 
worked as a maid at a hotel until she saved up enough money to start her own boarding house and then died at 45 after giving birth to 13 American citizens, one of which was my grandfather. Most women's history happens quietly and courageously by women who are just keeping on by keeping on. Then there's Polly Murray, the gender outlaw who was the first African-American woman to be ordained as an Episcopal priest. She, is, she also regularly used the he and she pronouns interchangeably. And then there's Joe, little Joe Monahan, born Joanna Monahan, but lived out his life in Idaho as a rancher and miner until his death in 1904, at which point, his biological sex came to be revealed and everyone was very surprised, shocked and scandalized. Or the evolutionary biologist, Joan Roofgarden, known for her work in theistic evolutionism, quietly teaching, writing, doing research, and then coming out as tr at trans for her 52nd birthday. Would she have been able to do her research if anyone knew before then? How many stories will we never know? How many stories are being lived right now? And these are all great stories. So much life and courage and dignity to be seen beyond the boundaries of what his story typically reveals. One thing that they all have in con common, gender, literally does not matter. It's a trap and a lie, but gender equality does. It's time to just let that gender thing go in favor of justice, equity, and compassion in all human relations.